Welcome to the Diversity Church Podcast. This is Pastor Jonathan Ember. We hope that you would just take a moment and listen and receive the Word of God. We know that one word from the Lord can change your life. And so we hope that this message will bless you and transform you in Jesus' name. Well, good morning, Diversity Church. It's nice to see everybody. I'm Billy Monta, the pastor of Student Ministries. You know, they say like everybody has a love language. Justin's love language is sarcasm. He gave me a really (laughs) motivational, inspirational pep talk before I got up here, and it sounded a little bit like this. Don't suck. Your bonus depends on it. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, but I know that's how sarcasm is how he communicates love. So I know that he meant it in love. So uh, let me just talk a little bit about where we've been and then get to where we're going. Uh, If you've been here with us for the last several weeks, our pastor, Pastor Jonathan, has brought us through a series called When I Grow Up. And so that has richly blessed me. It was a word that was very much in season as my wife and I are having a child and we're thinking about the type of kid we want our, our, our person, our kid to grow up to be and the type of kid we do not want him to be. Uh, uh, people ask me all the time, are you ready for fatherhood? And I always say yes, but I think there are these moments that are very revealing. So I had this, a moment this week where my wife wanted Skyline Chili. And so she has been very uh, nauseous as she's been pregnant. And so I said, honey, are you sure your stomach is going to be able to hold down a chili dog from Skyline? She said, yes, we need to go to Skyline Chili. So I get in the car and we're going to Skyline Chili and we get there and she takes two bites of her hot dog and we, she throws up. And it was a moment for me as a husband to be very gracious and very compassionate and very understanding. And so uh, I, I asked her a question. And the question I asked her was not, are you okay? Uh, is everything good? The question I asked her was, why are you throwing up right now? <laughs> that, was, that was legitimately the question I asked her. And, and then I always say, you can prove a point, but what's the point? And so as she's hurling and throwing up in my car, I'm like, honey... Remember when I told you, remember when I told you your stomach couldn't say, I was right, I was right. And so the word of God is just as much for me as it is for all of you. I'm through a process of progressive sanctification just as much as you guys are. And so I need these words today. This preparing for this message has really um, just edified me and and led me to become more and more like Jesus. So let me just say, I know Jonathan prayed, but I, you know, some anxiety happens when you're up on stage. So Jesus, be with us that you would go before me and help me to speak in confidence and boldness, not my words, but your words through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So uh, this is a a great series, and in between us, um, it's a very special series for me, because our series is entitled Summer in the Psalms, and a little secret between you and me, Jaslyn and I are naming our baby boy Psalm One Settler. So <laughs> by, by default, everything that we preach is to the glory of God and the edification of the body. But I wanted to share his name because someday when he's 18 years old, I want to give him this sermon on a CD and say, little Psalm, we loved you before you even existed. We loved you. And so um, we're just, yeah, it's just, it's super cool that the first series that I get to preach is a series that is after the namesake of our baby boy. 
So I'm going to dedicate this to Psalm Michael Wansettler. Um, as we get in today, so let's just get right to it. Before we get into the, the particular passage, I always like to give a detailed description of the book that's important in preaching because if you don't understand a passage in, in, in terms of its context and the context of the Bible in whole, you do this thing called eisegesis. And eisegesis is just when you take scriptures and you make them mean whatever the heck you want them to mean. And so for us to understand the psalm I'm going to talk about today, Psalm 145, we need to just have a little bit of understanding of the book of Psalms. So Psalms is 150 chapters. It's the third longest book in the Bible. Does anybody know what the, the books are longer than the book of Psalms are? Genesis and Jeremiah. Genesis and Jeremiah. So 150 chapters. It is written over a period of a thousand years. And what you have in Psalms is a collection of thoughts and prayers and poems and confessions to Jesus. And oftentimes when you read the book, it feels very much like an emotional roller coaster going from great heights and emotional highs and glory and praise to God to very detrimental moments, to very depressing moments, to very low moments. Uh, it's, it's a book that's very real. It's a book that's very raw. Uh, you know, in the New Testament, Jesus says you should pray for your enemies. David does pray for his enemies, but oftentimes the prayers that he's praying is for God to wipe them off the face of the earth. Now that's something that is descriptive and not prescriptive. And what I mean by that is just because you read in Psalm that David says, God, wipe my enemies from the face of the earth. You shouldn't go to Subway or your workplace or your, whatever the heck you work at and say, God, Wipe my enemy off the face of the earth. It's descriptive, and I think it speaks so so well, and it's so well in telling of God's character because there's a level of authenticity that you can come before God with. It doesn't have to be so proper and pristine. Oh, Lord of the forty seventh power, Jesus of the saints. Like you can come to God and say, God, I am furious. I'm mad. You can come to God in all honesty and let Him know how you're feeling. In fact, in Psalm ninety one, David prays this. This is a crazy prayer. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May the creditor seize all that he has. Let there be none to extend kindness to him. Does that, that's not what Jesus had in mind when he tells us to pray for our enemies. That the creditors would come after them and collect their debt. That's not what Jesus has in mind. Right? Uh, the book of Psalms, it's, it's beautiful. And, and within the book of Psalms, we have some of the most beautiful passages, not just in within the scriptures, but within the entire English language. Verses like, although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Verses like, before I was in my mother's womb, you knew me by name, you knit me together. Some of the most beautiful pages, or beautiful passages in all of literature are found in the book of Psalms. Uh, the book reads very much like a journal. And so it's, it's really remarkable because we don't have this anywhere else in Scripture. And by that I mean this. Uh, we have examples in the Bible of people's actions, but we don't know what their thought processes are before those actions, nor do we know their feelings after the fact. So, for example, in the New Testament, uh, Peter denies Jesus. And the Bible tells us that he weeps bitterly. But Peter doesn't have a journal entry. He doesn't write about it. We don't know what's going through Peter's mind. We don't know what's going through Peter's thoughts. So as you look at the book of Psalms, you read the book of Psalms, you're going to have these subtitles. And in these subtitles, it's actually so fascinating because you can cross-reference the subtitles back to the original stories. You can read them like a journal entry. Uh, the authorship. 
uh, it was written by a variety of different authors. The, the first man, Adam, Melchizedek, Abraham, Moses, Herman, Jubathon, I, I did not prepare these names, Herman, Judathon, Asaph, and the three sons of Korah. But the vast majority of Psalms were written by David. 75 altogether were written by David. So David writes about everything. Every moment in his life, he writes a journal entry and a prayer to give it back to God. When his son Absalom rebels, attempting to kill him and take the throne, he writes about it. When King Saul finds out David is staying with the priest, and, Saul's, and Saul has the priest's entirely, entire family massacred, he writes about it. When he's fleeing from Saul and hiding in caves, he writes about it. When he gets captured by the Philistine army, he writes about it. During the greatest moral shortcoming of his life, when he sleeps with another man's wife and then sets up her husband to be killed, he writes, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He writes about it. This stuff is so connected to us because the scriptures are, it's, it's so relevant for us because the humanity they experience in the book of Psalms, it's a universal humanity that we all experience today. So, so you know what? David might not have been anxious about inflation, but he was anxious about something else. He might not have been worried about the, the, the rising price of, of gas prices and rather he was going to buy a Tesla or not. He might not have been worried about those things, but the same fear, the same depression, the same anxiety, the same things that plague us on the day to day, David experienced. And so we share a universal humanity with David. So we should pay attention to the things that he said. And we could also know that David, who, who was authentic and real and raw before God and honest with his feelings, we can be that too. Because God had the same relationship with him. And then you have these other Psalms. that I call them Starbucks Psalms. Or just because Psalms. So in these Psalms, we don't really know that David was going through a trying time. There wasn't really anything dramatic going on in his life. He just writes about what? The heart of God, the character of God, the, the unfathomability of God, the greatness of God, the mercy of God, the, the righteousness of God, the peace of God. So, so I want to ask everyone today, when was the last time you truly spent time to reflect on who God is? The last time you truly spent, to say, not just for what, you know, you really reflected on Jesus, on who he is, not just what he could do for you, not just what you could get for him, not just, not just something that you wanted, but you truly reflected on Jesus in all his glory and all his splendor and who he is. And you sat at Starbucks or you took a walk around the block with your dog and you said, Jesus, you're just so, so good. And if you never gave me anything for the rest of the, my entire existence, the cross is enough and everything you've done for me. When was the last time we've really reflected on that so we're going to go into psalm 145 and i say this every time i preach uh, i believe wholeheartedly the scriptures are the truths and the principles and the realities not just of some religious principle or religious system but they are the revelation of a person named jesus and as we come to know the scriptures we can come to know him more personally so psalm 145 if you have your bibles turn there if you don't have your bibles we have it up on the screen for you here we go. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty. 
and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the flame of your abundant good. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is everlasting kingdom, is an everlasting kingdom and the dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds those who are falling and raises up those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand to satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves him. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And Lord, all his flesh bless his holy name. Forever and ever. Word of the Lord. So I want to I wanna, uh, ask everyone to consider a question. Can you, can you all consider for a time where maybe you were in pursuit of something? Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was an opportunity. And, and in your pursuit of that thing, you kind of hit the brakes because you got some new revelation or some new knowledge about that particular thing. So you thought a job was the greatest job offer ever and you get there and they're like, oh, by the way, um, you have to work uh, every single weekend until you're 105. And you're like, oh, uh, you didn't mention that during when you first called me about this interview, right? So can you think of those moments where you were pursuing somebody, you had an opportunity that maybe seemed too good to be true and, and you hit the brake on those things? Uh, I, can, I can share a couple stories. Uh, before I had met Jazlyn, I was uh, looking for a relationship, and I was on this app called Tinder. And uh, Tinder is, uh, it's not, you can't, there's not a lot of godly women on Tinder. And you, you, the way that Tinder works, for those of you who are kind of a little behind the times, is there's a profile picture with a very brief description of someone. And you swipe right if you like them, and if you aren't into them, you swipe left. And so I had swiped right, and I want to talk about two Two date experiences I had before I met Jaslyn that really uh, changed my perspective. It's things I was interested in and then hit the brakes on. So one of them, the woman said that she was very much into Jesus. So I thought, that's really a plus. You're into Jesus. I'm into Jesus. And so we decided we were going to meet. I was like 23 years old. We were going to meet at a hookah bar. Uh, if you don't know what a hookah bar is, you just pay for flavored smoke. It's a waste of money. Don't go to hookah bars. But that's where we ended up going. And so... Uh, the first thing I said was, hey, I am, shh, she shushed me, be quiet, I said, okay, uh, I go to Geneva, call, shh, we're, we're not going to talk, and so I said, well, um, you, I, I really liked how your profile said you were into Jesus, and she said, yes, Jesus, my grandfather's name was Jesus, I said, what, <laughs> she said, yes, he's one of many deities that I prayed to. I said, oh, Lord, Lord. So now I'm in. I'm like, what the heck? She's like, yeah. Also, 
I prayed to Mother Nature, the wind, and Tinkerbell. <laughs> As a tinker, you mean that little tooth, little tooth fairy from Peter Pan? No, goddess, not tooth fairy. So we're going to meditate. So uh, we sit down, and she sits across the, the, the room, and I sit down across the room, and I'm t- I just pull my phone out because I don't know what to do. And I'm tapping, and I'm tweeting because Flappy Bird was a thing back then. If you old school, you know about Flappy Bird. Uh, I was playing Flappy Bird. And she opens her eyes in utter disgust, and she said, oh, no, there'll be none of that. <laughs> so she walks up to me, and she grabs my phone, and she sits it, like, around her crotch area so I can't get it back uh, without catching a lawsuit. And I sat there for uh, an hour, and as soon as this whole experience ends, she gets up and she says, that was incredible. I was just vibing with you so much. It was such a vibe. Such a vibe, vibe. <laughs> and so she said, I would love to do this again sometime. Um, but I didn't go back. So that's, that's one experience. That's why I'm so grateful for my wife, because it was a journey. It was a God bless the broken road, as the Rascal Flats once sang faithfully. Um, and another experience I had, I was, I, I was meeting somebody, and we were going to go out to eat together, another Tinder girl. And she said, uh, I, have, I have to get ready first at my house. Do you mind stopping by? My house. So I said, ah, sure, no problem. So I, I get to her house and there's no front porch and the door is up here and I don't have ups. I can't jump. I have no, uh, and, and I'm like five foot eight and I don't know how to like get up to her door. So I call her and I'm like, Hey, I'm outside. She's like, you got to get the bin. I said, the bin. She's like, you have to get the bin to get in my house. It's across the street. So I'm like, <laughs> So there's this family across the street. They're sitting across the street. So I'm like walking over. I'm like, is, is this what she's talking about? And so the people, they mumble something to me. I got up my jaw of the bin. I said, what? I cut up my jaw of the bin. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to take your, your, your bin. I just, and I, it's like an awkward situation. I don't know what to do. So like they have this recycling bin. They're like, oh, Papa, I got jaw of the bin. So eventually I'm like, well, um, the, the girl next door, they said, oh, 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 Shekaba, oh, the bin. Okay, okay. So I'm like, okay, thanks. So I get the recycling bin. I take out all the milk cartons. I go across the street. I get on the recycling bin. I still can't reach. I do a pull up to get inside of the house. And so I get inside and she has uh, this, this three-year-old. And so she's like, I'm going to go in the bathroom real quick to get ready. So I said, okay, cool. So her baby, I'm like, hi, hi, little buddy. This little sucker starts swearing at me. <laughs> I said, what? So he's swearing at me. And then I overhear in the bathroom the sounds of what sounds like her throwing up. I hear like, ugh, ugh, So meanwhile, when I didn't think it could get any worse, um, the, the baby gets to be vivid and real. He gets some poop out of his butt and he wipes it and smears it across the wall. So I said, hey, buddy, you probably shouldn't do that. He stuck his middle finger up at me. <laughs> so, so his wife comes out, or not, or his, not his wife, his mom comes out with kind of throw up on her t-shirt. And I'm like, hey, are you going to get changed? He said, you want me to get changed over what? Oh, this? This is nothing. So anyway, uh, what I end up doing is I call my friend. I send out an SOS. It's a code message to my friend. My friend ends up telling me that, he has to go somewhere that he didn't really have to go. I know I lied. I was desperate. I asked God for forgiveness. But in, in, in both of those moments, right, have you ever been there? Like when you're in pursuit of something, when you're in pursuit of an opportunity, and all of a sudden you get a new bit of information and your perspective entirely changes about that thing. 
Have you ever been there where like you thought somebody you were pursuing was really into Jesus and you found out when you got there, they weren't really into Jesus, but they were into you and they pretended to be into Jesus just so they could have a chance with you. Right. Have we ever been there where we've been in in full pursuit of something and and then our perception changed because we got new revelation, because we got new information. And so what does does Billy's Tinder dates have to do with the scriptures? What is what is the connection here? What if I told you your pursuit of Jesus is intricately and directly related to your perception of him? What if I told you your pursuit of Jesus if, if you've lost your passion to pursue Jesus, your zeal, your energy, your fire, your fuel, what if I told you it has everything to do with your perception of Jesus? Because I'll tell you this, if you have a low view of Jesus, your pursuit of him will be weak, apathetic, and even non-existent. So we have this Psalm, Psalm 145. The scriptures, this Psalm was written by David. The scriptures, when they talk about David, they give him one of the highest honors that any person could ever receive. In Acts 12, 22, Acts 13, 22, it says this. God raised up David to be their king, to whom also he gave their testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill at all my will. David, isn't that the goal? Isn't that the focus? Isn't that we're all trying to be men and women of integrity who are passionately and fervently pursuing the heart of Jesus? Isn't that what we're all trying to get to? In fact, the the theologian A.W. Tozar regarding regarding our, our thoughts about God said this. He says this. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He continues, were we able to extract from any person a complete answer to the question, what comes to mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that person. Were we able to know exactly what our most influential religious leaders think of God today, we might be able to, with some precision, foretell where the church will stand tomorrow. Without doubt, The mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God. And the weightiest word in the language, in any language, is the word for God. So in Psalm 145, David is meditating on the greatness and goodness of God. And because David had such a high view of God, his life, although imperfect, his life, although filled with mistakes, is defined by a personal, passionate pursuit of Jesus. I want to talk today, I want to speak to you from the subject of your pursuit of God. And I want to talk about three ways David's perception of God in one Psalm 145. Three ways David's perception of God in Psalm 145 will help fuel our pursuit of him. So number one, the right perception of God leads to rightly placed worship. If you look at verse three, it says this. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. The ESV says his greatness is unsearchable. The NIV says his greatness no one can fathom. Without a high view of God, we by default don't begin to worship God, but we turn to self-worship. If we don't have a high view of God, we turn to self-worship or we turn to idol worship. Look at Genesis when, when Satan tempted Adam. You know what he tempted Adam with? He said, if you eat of this tree, of the tree of the fruit and life, 
you will have all knowledge. You'll be able to tell the difference between good and evil. And so in a moment, because Adam wasn't satisfied with his limitations, in a moment of pride, he plunges the entirety of humanity into sin because he wants to know something about God that he doesn't know. He wants to be equal in God's understanding. You think about the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament. They built a tower because they said to themselves, we're going to build a heaven to reach the heights of God. We think we know better. We think we know better than God. Uh, if you study philosophy, they, they use this terminology called the zeitgeist. And I know that sounds fancy and scholarly, but all that means this. The zeitgeist just means the spirit of the times. And so when philosophers study the past and they study prior generations, one of the things that they have, have come to, to identify, the 17th and 18th century, they call it this, this movement called enlightenment. And in the movement of enlightenment, people began to think that human reason was higher than God. Then human understanding was, was better than God's wisdom. And so out of that movement was a man named Immanuel Kant. And here's something that he quotes. All of our knowledge begins with sense, proceeds to understanding, and ends with reason. There is nothing higher than reason. Nothing higher. We know everything there is to know. There's not an unsearchable God out there. And if there is, it doesn't matter because we, we don't have the reason or understanding to truly know him. And so out of the Enlightenment came forth another movement, which is still in existence today. And out of Enlightenment came this other movement called secular humanism. And so not only do we believe we know better than God, not only do we believe we have more knowledge and understanding than God, but we also believe that we can save ourselves. We don't need Jesus because all of the problems of sin and sin-filled humanity can be solved by us. And so people and artists begin to create out of this, this framework. They begin to create out of this worldview. And so you have people singing uh, 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 songs, um, holding their phones and waving them back and forth. You know, uh, John Lennon wrote a song called Imagine in the 70s out of this movement, right? Imagine all the people living for today. Ah, ah, ah. Right? So what's that song about? It's, it's a song that, that, that talks about, hey, if we would just come together. If we, we are the world, we are the children, da, 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 Michael Jackson, people waving their phones back and forth. If we could just come together, y'all, if we could just have a conversation and sit at the table, then all the problems that, that, that plague sinful humanity will be solved on account of us, sinful humanity. How much sense does that make? You know that, that after World War I, that the, the, the League of Nations before the United Nations was formed, they came together in a meeting and they said, this is the war to end all wars. We will never have another war again. How did that work out? Right? The, 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 the League of Nations disbanded in like 35 minutes and we've had countless wars since. Um, Romans 125 tells it like this. Uh, it, it says... I have, to, I have to look up there. You have that up there? It says we've, we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And, and rather than, than worshiping and serving God, we worship and we serve the creation. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. You know, when I'm downstairs and I have conversations with our young people about the word of God, you know, one thing I always tell them is this. Hey, th there's going to be portions of the Bible that you don't understand. They don't make sense to you. 
you don't have to, we don't have to explain away every hard passage. Like we want our people to have understanding of the word of God. But like in the old Testament, there's a story where, where some kids call Elijah a baldy and then they get mauled by a grizzly bear. And I can't on my best day give you a theological explanation on why those kids got mauled by a grizzly bear. But I hold on to this, that something out there is higher than me. That, that there's an understanding out there that's higher than me. That there's a reasoning out there that's higher than me. That there's, there's understanding. That there's, there's morality that's higher than me. I don't have the view of everyone's past, present, and future. I don't have the view of all of creation from beginning to end. I didn't speak the world into existence. Right? And so David understands this about God. That, that, that God is higher than him. If you think about the famous words by John the Baptist, remember what John the Baptist says? He says that he must increase and I must decrease. Y'all, when we have a low view of God, we live that flipped. I must increase. He must decrease. It's it's a complete change and a complete flip. So I, I leave you with this question. How could you ever begin a pursuit of something? How could you ever begin a pursuit of God when your perception of God is low and the God you seek is within yourself? Why would you need God? Why would you need a savior? Why would you need Jesus when you're the answer to all of the problems that there are? Second point I have is, is a right view of, a right perception of God leads your life being defined by worship. David understands that God is worthy of worship. In fact, in Psalm 21, 145, 21, he says, I will praise the Lord. And may, we, and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. What's he talking about? The, the level of worthiness that God is, you know? He's using a metaphor. He's using human language for us to understand because we exalt people all the time. If you walk down to Lucas Oil Stadium, who will you see? A statue of Peyton Manning. There's a, a, a big painting of my... Of my uh, uh, who's the famous pacer? Don't, Colleen, who do you like? Reggie Miller, giant painting on the wall, right? So, so you, we have all these debates about who is the greatest of all time, and we, and we exalt people. But the thing about exalting people is, is their, their fame and their glory over time diminishes. And if you notice, like, people having debates about the greatest basketball player of all time, fewer and fewer kids know people like Oscar Robinson. Fewer and fewer kids know people like Julius Irving. Those people don't even enter... The conversation. In fact, I have a picture of uh, I have a picture of someone. Anybody know who this guy is? Woody. <laughs> uh, this guy is, uh, according to Google Images, I could be wrong. Don't fact check me. His name is Soup Cable. And uh, you know who Soup Cable was? He was in the YMCA Rec League. And in 1930, he was considered the greatest basketball player of all time. <laughs> this dude. How many debates have you got into? It's like LeBron, Jordan, LeBron, Jordan, LeBron, Jordan. Soup. Soup is the greatest basketball player of all time. Because here's the reality. As generations come and go, our exaltation of them fades. In the Old Testament, there was a man named Joseph. And he was second in power to Pharaoh. And I think this verse just describes this, this phenomenon perfectly. Joseph in the Old Testament, he was the second in command. And here's what the, here's what the Bible says. Eventually a new king came to power in Egypt, who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. Knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. So, so when David says, forever and ever, it's prophetic. 
He's talking about God that's not just being worthy of exaltation for a season, but he has such a worthiness that all generations throughout all time, it's prophetic. In the book of Revelation, it talks about each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. And day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The one who was and is and is to come. When you have a high view of God, your life becomes a love offering to Jesus. When you have a low view of God, you don't see worship. You compartmentalize things, right? Like you'll come on Sunday and sing a song. You'll lift your hands up. But when you have a low view of God, you won't see ways to glorify him in the entirety of your being. You won't see to to, to make a sack in all of your existence with everything you are. David has a high view of God. It changes his perception was high and it fuels his pursuit. What is your view of God like this morning, y'all? How do you see Jesus? Do you see him as somebody as worthy of worship and everything that you do and your entire existence? Or is Jesus just worth being worshipped for 10 minutes during a worship set on a Sunday at Diversity Church? Third, third point. Uh, a right perspective of God keeps you God-reliant versus self-reliant. Verse 6 says, your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. So David's talking about these deeds and miracles. What deeds and miracles he's talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about Moses and the Exodus. You know, when we, we begin to live in such a way where we doubt God's greatness, we begin to doubt God's capability. We begin to doubt God's capability. And so instead of trusting God to make moves, to answer our prayers, to open up doors, to provide us with the house we're praying for, to provide us with the wife we're praying for, we take matters into our own hands and we try to figure things out on ourselves. And a lot of times what we end up doing is placing circumstances over God. In the Old Testament, when when the Israelites get to the the foot of the Red Sea and, and and, and Pharaoh's army is pursuing them, they respond to Moses like this. They say, Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? Have you ever been in that moment? You, you, you doubt God's greatness, so you doubt God's capability, and you need the miracle, but you don't believe that God is capable of the miracle because your view of God is so measly and low and pathetic that, that you're like, God, I don't trust you. That's my, entire, that's my entire date story. I didn't trust God to bring me for the wife that I was praying for, so I downloaded Tinder, and I went on terrible dates that didn't work out. Isn't it crazy how when we take matters into our own hands, there's my favorite rapper, Chance the Rapper, says it like this. When it's in man's hands, it gets manhandled. We destroy things that we, that we put into our own hands. I have a, I have a picture of, of myself on our wedding day. Do you, can you pull that? That's me. Uh, yes, I'm crying. And my wife asked me, you know, before we had this moment where she walked down the aisle, she said, uh, Billy, are you going to cry when I walk down the aisle? And I said, yes. Um, but but not, I'm not just going to cry because I, I love you and you're beautiful and, and, and I'm so thankful. But I'm going to cry for this reason. Because I remember all the times in my life where I doubted God's faithfulness. And I doubted God's capability. And I, and I remember the moments when I went through uh, 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 failed relationships. I found a, a journal entry I wrote in 2019. I'm going to read this to you because this is where I was at. It said, something I've lost. This past, this is in 2019, the year before I met Jasmine. Something I've sadly lost these past two years has been a sense of truth, peace. 
Sometimes a person can identify with lies so deep they're woven into our souls, stuck like chewing gum onto wool fabric. And despite the people who tell us we're valuable and significant, their comments don't permeate the root of the lies we believe about ourselves. You can feel like you're digging up the roots to a 400-year-old oak tree with a garden shovel. I'm 28. All my relationships have failed. I loved a girl. She broke up with me. All my relationships have failed. It must be me. I'm not worthy of a kind of love that perseveres. It was Christmas time. I already bought her gifts. She texted me when I was at work. We need to talk. I dropped the gifts off in her garage. There wasn't any wrapping paper. I cried in her driveway. I'm 28. All my relationships have failed. It must be me. I'm not worthy of the kind of love that stays. Why, God? If you didn't want to talk to me outside the concert, you didn't have to, but you could have signed an autograph for Matthew. That's my little brother, man. He's only six years old. We waited for you for four hours in the blistering cold, and you just said no. I'm 28. All my relationships have failed. It must be me. I'm not worthy of the kind of love that persists. Where are you at with God? Have you begun to stop believing in God because of your circumstances? Have you begun to, to doubt the faithfulness and the goodness and the mercy of God because of where you've been? Because that was me. And so I'm in that picture. I'm crying my eyes out. Because in spite of all that, when I, when I cried my after every failed relationship at 28 years old, God heard my prayers. God heard my prayers. And this is the most important thing I want to tell everyone today. That God is great. Yes. But God's greatness is expressed in his goodness. God's greatness is expressed in his goodness. So listen to this verse. Think about where you identify in this. The Lord helps those, the fallen. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. Are you fallen? Do you have too much on you that you can't bear? The eyes of the Lord look to you in hope. You give them food as they need it. Are you trusting God to provide? I know Jonathan's been asking for a baby with his wife, Nicole. And and, and going through those circumstances, you can begin to come to this place where you don't trust the greatness of God because you don't believe in the goodness of God. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, all to call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears your cries for help and rescue them. Rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love him. But he destroys the wicked. The most beautiful thing about Jesus in the New Testament is when Jesus performs miracles, he doesn't do it for show. He's not putting on something flashy. So there's a woman in the New Testament and she comes and she reaches Jesus and she touches his garment because she had a bleeding issue. Now, she believed two things about God. Not only did she, she believed that God was capable. She, the, the Bible said she spent all of her money trying to get surgery, trying to figure out what was wrong. She had exhausted all of her resources. But she, she knew there was one resource out there that, that had an infinite amount of resources. And so she reaches the, the hill of Jesus' garment and Jesus said, who touched me? The other thing she believed about God in that moment was that he's good. God, God, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of man. God, miracle worker, way maker, the God who spoke the universe into existence. 
This woman in the New Testament was daring enough to believe that this God of, of all eternity that spoke reality into existence with a breath cared enough about her and her situation. Cared enough about her and her situation. So today, rather you decide to come up to the altar or not, I want you to think for a minute about your perception of Jesus. Are you worn out? You know, the prophet Isaiah writes that Jesus won't, won't snuff out a smoldering wick. That means when the, the candle in your heart is dim, that Jesus is just going to blow it out. He's going to put his hands over it. He's going to fan the flame. Where are you all at today with your relationship with God? You don't have to come up to the altar. If you feel called to come up to the altar, I want to invite you up here. But what is your relationship with God? Have you doubted the greatness of God? Have you doubted the goodness of God? Because if you have, there's a moment right now where you can come and encounter him. That you can reach out just like that woman in the New Testament and reach out and touch his garment. And he can reach out to you, his daughter. Reach out to you, his son in love and say, who touched me? Do you need a miracle? Because I'm faithful and I'm great 